You're listening to WO Voices, a podcast series from Women in Optometry magazine. I'm Marjolyn Bailefeld, editor of Women in Optometry. We're delighted you can join us. Welcome to WO Voices, a podcast series. We're here today with Dr. Melissa Barnett and Dr. Leslie O'Dell. Dr. Barnett, OD, FAAO, FSLS, FBCLA, is well known to WO listeners and readers. Uh, she's a Thea Award winner. She's the Director of Optometry at UC Davis. She's the host of Clearly KC podcast, and she advocates for elevating eye care through technology with tremendous influence on the profession. She's joined today by another Thea winner, Dr. Leslie O'Dell. Dr. Barnett, I'll let you take it from here. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity. And I am thrilled to introduce you to my good friend and colleague, Leslie O'Dell. And we've known each other actually for quite a while. And this is a great opportunity to chat with Leslie O'Dell and to share her story. Dr. O'Dell is a founding member of the Intrepid Eye Society and is an author of the recent TFOS Lifestyle Workshop and a TFOS Global Ambassador in the U.S. She is dedicated to promoting excellence and fostering the growth of optometry through collaborative efforts among future leaders in our field. Dr. O'Dell is an excellent mentor, researcher, and lecturer, and she was most recently named the 2022 Thea Award winner for the Innovation category. Welcome, Leslie. Well, thank you so much for having me. I feel you know excited to kind of catch up on all things that we've been up to. Yes, I, yeah, I was thinking about all the projects that we've worked on collaboratively over the years, and one being Intrepid. And please share a little bit with the listeners about the Intrepid Eye Society. Well, Intrepid Eye Society is really a great um, group of, of forward-thinking optometrists and optometry leaders that is geared toward people a little bit actually younger than you and I. Um, and you know, now that we have been part of that organization for eight or 10 years, we get grandmothered out, I guess, if you will, to become emeritus status and guide the younger generation. But, you know, what I love about Intrepid is just that they really are laying the foundation for continued excellence in education of our peers, as well as giving industry partners great resources to understand what the challenges are, maybe what our unmet needs are, and really being the voice for optometry. But you and I both were, were invited to be part of the foundation of Intrepid Eye Society. Um, so it's a pretty special group. Yes, I feel like it's my Intrepid family. So all of you are, are my extended family. It's such a special group. I definitely agree with you there. And we've worked together on so many projects around dry eye disease. What are you most excited about in the new treatment landscape in dry eye? I thought that 2020 was going to be the year of eye care, and we were definitely sidetracked there with the pandemic and a lot of you know anxiety and stress that was related to the, the, the shutdown of the world, if you will. So I really think that 2023 has proven to be the year for dry eye. We've seen so many product launches and FDA approvals this year. And, you know, for our colleagues, sometimes they still are challenged by 
making just that diagnosis of the disease. Um, and I know you and I have talked about this and, and the companies that we get to work with always are trying to solve for a problem, which is if there's estimated 38 million Americans living with dry eye disease, there's only about 18 million with the diagnosis. And what's the disconnect? Is the disconnect in the patient not getting to us for an eye exam? Is the disconnect in the doctor not identifying it early on um, in the process, you know, and or is it that the patient's kind of seeking care for multiple providers? So figuring that problem out's been part of the challenge. But now that we finally have a lot of gaps filled in with new launches in the you know, I would call it evaporative category, but I know their indication of MIBO still is for dry eye disease, but it does have that evaporative control undertone. Um, we have that bucket now filled in in a topical form, not just an in-office treatment form. We have Demodex blepharitis, which has honestly been a thorn in my side for many, many years because we didn't have a good treatment. We did the best with what we had, but now, you know, with Extemvi's launch and just even seeing the buzz around that product when it's in our peers' hands has been so fun. Um, people seeing their patients back and truly seeing what the study showed and being, you know, in awe, um, which was an experience that I had as well when I had my first chance to, to utilize that. And then I think even, you know, taking some of these delivery systems, I guess, um, that Nova Leak has brought to the market and looking at how Harrow's building out this new dry eye company and not even new because they're over a decade old, but it was just known through the Empress name. Um, but now, you know, with Vivi and, you know, just seeing a new version of cyclosporin that is going to have hopefully more tolerability because another big challenge has been you get a patient on a therapy and it's uncomfortable. So um, I, I'm excited about a lot of what this year and, and next has to bring our patients. And I just really hope that our peers embrace dry eye, embrace it instead of straying away from it and, and keep it simple instead of overcomplicating it. And that will give you more um, daily satisfaction. Once you start seeing good patient outcomes, you know that your time's well spent in your clinic paying attention to dry eye disease. Yes, I think you brought up so many great points. And one I want to highlight is just the new products that are very comfortable for our patients so they don't have the side effects like other products. And then we have, of course, a, a nasal option as well, being Tiervaya. So we have all these different options to help our patients. And I'm excited for all of my patients, those even with severe dry eye, and especially those who wear contact lenses. Um, to really keep our patients in contact lenses because we have these great treatments now. So let's talk about TFOS. And we both had the great opportunity. It's such a privilege to work on the TFOS Lifestyle Workshop. I know we worked on different reports, but as a global ambassador, what message do you want to share about the Lifestyle Workshop? Recently in September, launched the executive summary. So my call out first is for our peers to really understand what Tear Film and Ocular Surface Society is, what their mission has been to the ocular surface and dry eye disease management. And that is just bringing together like-minded people, whether they're optometrists, ophthalmologists, researchers, industry partners, and sometimes even patient groups to work together 
to dig through, and sometimes you and I both know that is really digging through um, research that's been done to figure out what research is sound research and what's the message and the takeaways from that research. And they do give us a very um, lengthy document and for people, you know, like yourself and I, and, and I'm sure a lot of our colleagues, that's it's exciting to read um, these manuscripts. But what they do so well is condense the messaging into an executive summary. And so that's usually less than 10 pages. I think the lifestyle workshop is a little longer than some of their other executive summaries from Dry Eye Workshop one and two and, and my Bomi and Glam um, Dysfunction workshop. But that's because the lifestyle really encroaches a lot of areas, right? So they did a great job doing things in the contact lens space. I was part of the uh, cosmetic committee. There is digital eye strain management, environmental strain um, management, lifestyle challenges, um, which kind of feeds in into things even like um, anxiety and depression, society challenges that we might face for our patients. And I know that in my experience, dry eye patients are seekers of information. And so this executive summary, I think, is very powerful to anybody who has set themselves up as a dry eye specialist or has a clinic with a dry, dry eye focus because you are going to be able to provide your patients with information that they have been seeking in a very scientifically backed manner and and develop your own you know tidbits if you will on here's what you should be doing when you're worrying about digital eye strain for example um, or here's how you should approach how you're looking at your cosmetics your cosmetic conversation with patients so you don't have to reinvent the wheel you know all of it's really laid out for us in that document so you, you know and, I, and everything's free. So as not being part of an academic center um, in my career, one of my challenges has always been having full access to a library so I can actually read a whole entire article and not just an abstract. <laughs> um, but what they do is they publish in the Ocular Surface and they're downloadable PDFs. Um, and you can find those links also on tierfilm.org. Gosh, I love reading uh, all the reports. They are so fantastic. And I love how they're all evidence-based. And there's so many different references for each report. But the summary is really easy to read. It's relatively quick. And there are just so many pearls that you can take into practice. So that is fantastic. We should all be downloading that summary as well. You know, just continuing to raise awareness around what they're doing, I think is important. And that's what I think that's part of my role, if you will, by being a continued ambassador of about TFOS is just, you know, when I have a chance to be on a podium or talking to peers, letting them know, hey, these great resources are out there and they don't even cost you any, you know, any money to download. I guess I've been in luxury for all these years, being able to download everything. I haven't thought about that before. But that's great that everyone can download and read everything that they want to. So I understand you've done all this research over the years. And tell us a little bit about some of the research projects you've been involved in. 
Thanks for calling that out because it's something that I have done in lots of different ways, um, sometimes corporate or you know, industry funded, um, sometimes independent, but it really probably goes back to my beginnings in optometry. So my fourth year externships were in a great clinic in Maryland that was dedicated to research and development. Um, and then that spawned my interest in becoming, um, you know, residency trained. And I did that at the Baltimore VA hospital. And part of that experience really put me in front of some amazing ophthalmology partners um, in the spaces of retina and glaucoma. So I had the experience to do some early work with an ophthalmologist, Dr. Alan Robin, who is big in the glaucoma space and has done a lot of really good work in adherence to medications over his lifetime. He was one of the first people I saw to actually videotape how a patient utilizes their glaucoma medicines and puts like all the drops on their cheek or digs the bottle top into their eye. Part of my research journey started with him in the days of Travitan and Travitan had a dosing aid, which basically was a recorder. So your patients would dock their bottle in this recording station every night and you would know if they used it or not, whether it was removed and um, opened. We, he, he encouraged me to present at an Arvo meeting, and I, I did that. And that was really exciting. We, we actually learned that maybe there was like a 74% adherence rate when they knew they were being watched. So wow. <laughs> when you don't know, you know, it's probably not. But then over the years, um, I, I started working in an ophthalmology clinic and started my passion with um, dry eye management. And that led me to be able to do some phase four work with Tier Science at the time, look, looking to figure out how did Lipiflow fit in for contact lens wearing patients, surgical patients with cataract surgery. And then I started to meet other people in the space of dry eye. And I will say that everyone, including yourself, that I've met along that journey has been so gracious with their time, connections, ideas, willingness to share, promoting each other. You know, it's such a amazing group of, of clinicians really that are here to elevate and support each other. Um, so that in itself is exciting. But I met Milton Hom along that journey, and I kind of say that he is like the maestro of independent research. So yes. when he had a couple conversations with me, I think he was just excited about fresh ideas or new ideas and also a patient base that we could do some you know, independent research with. So over the course of probably two or three years, we were able to put out a ton of abstracts at all different types of congresses, whether it was probably one of them even hit my local state or my state society, but Arvo and Academy were our big places of, of presenting and maybe even an American Academy or American Optometric Association meeting. But our focus was really on meibomian gland dysfunction. And so we looked at lots and lots of things. We looked at lead laxity, we looked at cosmetics and how they maybe impacted the meibomian glands. We One of the cool studies that we did, um, I did alongside a colleague that lives close to me here in Pennsylvania, Dr. Jonathan Andrews. So his clinic is super unique in that he sees um, mostly Amish patients. So they have very limited exposure to any digital device. And that, when I thought about my bomian gland dysfunction, was like a population that I was trying to figure out how can I do research with that population of people. So we did a really cool mybography study utilizing, you know, myself and Milton and a couple other doctors across the 
the country um, as the control and Jonathan's patients as the, you know, the people who really weren't exposed to digital devices and found that two hours of exposure to screens could impact myography imaging and atrophy scores. Um, So that was one of the things that I have done over the past several years that people might not have realized. The other thing is around Demodex. So we did a lot of research just around Demodex blepharitis and, you know, the asymptomatic patient, the symptomatic patient, and trying to kind of pull out how do you identify those patients. Your research is so relevant and so impactful for all of our patients because we're all on digital devices. I worry about the future of meibomian glands for kids at this time, because even after the pandemic, my kids are at school and they're on their digital devices and they're required to do that for school. And then of course, home and all of that. So thank you for doing all that research. And hopefully we can share it with everyone to explain the importance of taking breaks on digital devices and what digital devices do to meibomian glands. And of course, Demodex is so important. I was having a conversation yesterday and showing some photos of Demodex in younger patients. It's so common. If you look for it, you'll see it because it's really highly prevalent. Agreed, 100%. The other actually cool thing that we just wrapped up um, that I did with this research group, but then I also was able to do um, on a Johnson & Johnson project was look at inner observer consistency when grading biography images. So I did this in 2020 with Milton Hom and, and a few other um, dry eye experts across the country. We gave them 20 images to look at and asked them to grade it on three criteria, atrophy score, tortuosity, and then segmentation, We I called it. And the, the match rate was pretty low. And these were dry eye experts. And then we did the, a module training with them and repeated the testing and they were much more in sync with each other. So, um, one thing that I, it has me thinking about, and then Johnson and Johnson's recent project that they just, um, had as a paper and poster at Academy was same thing, except there were six doctors and I was one of them. And, they found that we could match ourselves looking at consecutive images when not knowing that they were consecutive images, but the six of us were not also doing a good job of matching each other. So I think it is a couple of things. One, it makes me think about maybe we need this atlas in my biography that would help doctors learn this trade because it wasn't something that we had, right? It's right. not something that's been around forever. And two, maybe the the advancements with AI will really help give the doctor the answer that they need because they might not be the best at coming up with it themselves. <laughs> right. Wow. That's, that's really exciting. So my last question is, I understand that you're recently named to the POA board. And what are your goals for the profession? Well, you know, I've, I've been doing a lot of thinking uh, um, as of late. And one of the things that I keep coming back to is just my passion for this profession and my continued desire to elevate optometry, whether that's in, you know, public health matters and letting people understand what our capabilities are, or whether it's at a, a state's level. And so Pennsylvania in particular is, is having some really good pushes right now legislatively that are exciting to see. One, one we're hopeful for in the near future is children's a children's vision law, which would ensure that a child would 
receive an eye exam before entering into the school system. So that's been something that we've been working on for some time and seems like obviously a no-brainer, but it is not something that has yet been passed in our legislation. Um, And then I'm really hopeful because Pennsylvania is such a big state. We have so many optometrists that we might be able to join the ranks of the laser qualified, right? And so by being named to the POA board as a trustee, it helps me kind of learn the organization and so much of their you know, valuable information that I will be learning and then move up the ranks. So over the next five or six years, I guess I eventually will be leading the state. And I'm excited just because I feel like it's a great platform for me to continue to share my passion of this profession with, you know, my my peers, my colleagues, and hopefully push to be the change as these scope expansions continue. Wow. Well, thank you for inspiring all of us. That is so fantastic. And it's so rewarding to be able to volunteer and help as well and to make the change. And we both have done so much volunteer work over the years. And I always feel like I gain so much from it, being able to help others. Well, Leslie, thank you so much for being on the WO podcast. It's always a pleasure to chat with you. And to our listeners, thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks so much. Thank you both. Thank you for listening. I hope you join us again on WO Voices. If you'd like to be a guest on the series, please send us an email at wovoicesonline at gmail.com, through our website at womeninoptometry.com, through Facebook at WO Magazine, or through Instagram at WomenODs. See you next time.